following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Does man have the ability to obey God? Does man have the ability to obey God? 
are we responsible for our own actions? How do we stand before the living God of heaven? Are we victims of cruel predestination? Or are we, with free will, able to decide the direction of our lives? The Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, begins to address this question when he makes this amazing statement in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now it's plain that being dead to sin literally means I am fully removed from its influence as a dead person is removed from any sense of this world. So the man who is dead in the natural sense has nothing to do with earthly things. He is separated. He is free. So what does it mean to live unto God? It means to be full of life for him, to be altogether active and committed with my whole life as an offering to him, constantly delivering up ourselves to him. That's what it means. Can I do that? Can I give myself utterly up to Jesus Christ? Or is there some reason that I am unable to do what God requires of me? Now, if we look carefully at Romans 6.11, we recognize we have to understand the context of this passage to be clear about its meaning, let's look beginning in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. This word destroyed means total, utter annihilation utter destruction. So the context of this passage in verse 11 is that our old man, that is the Adam nature, is crucified with Jesus and that the body of sin has been utterly destroyed, that we would no longer serve sin. Now, hear correctly. Paul is speaking about sin in terms of it being a monarch, a king, a ruler who has absolute sway over you. Likewise, he's speaking about Jesus Christ as a monarch, as a king, as a lord who has absolute sway over 
over you. There are two kingdoms being spoken of here. There is the kingdom of darkness, and there is the kingdom of divine authority. And Jesus came preaching the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. And he urged everyone to repent and to have their sins forgiven or removed, aphemy, to have their sins removed. There are two kingdoms then being described here. There is not, if you notice, anywhere in Scripture, a third kingdom spoken of. We must recognize this. This cuts directly across the American philosophy of self-interest first. There is not a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of God, and a kingdom of Ray Greenlee. Ray Greenlee must be under either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And I can't be under two rulers. Two kings do not share a common territory. It belongs to one or it belongs to the other. And so my self-interest must be under the rulership of the kingdom of darkness or of the divine kingdom of God. I have no choice about that. My free will says I have the right to choose whom I will serve. It does not grant me the right or the ability to create my own kingdom separate from the two existing kingdoms that rule over the earth. The kingdom of darkness is manifest in every wicked thing. The kingdom of God is manifest in the church, in righteousness. The church is to be the body of Jesus Christ. Now you see already the trap. What happens when the church, calling itself the church, transfers itself over under the kingdom of darkness? It still has religion. It still has music. It still has the social structure. But the lampstand has been removed. The Holy Spirit is gone. But it takes careful understanding to know whether the lampstand has been removed from your church because it is transferred over under the kingdom of darkness. Now, the kingdom of darkness does not mind if you go to church every Sunday. In fact, if your church is under the kingdom of darkness, he will encourage you to go every Sunday so that you don't become restless because for some people, they love sports. Other people love collecting things. Other people love going to church. It's their hobby. It's their it's the place where they feel satisfied. They've had their card punched. And Satan doesn't mind all of that. 
He doesn't even mind if you read the scriptures as long as you read the scriptures through the lenses that allow you to continue in his kingdom of darkness. On the other hand, Jesus will not allow the kingdom of darkness to set up camp in his kingdom. He immediately begins to expose and rebuke and judge. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Jesus wants and insists that there be a clean line of demarcation between his kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. And so he will not have anything to do with a church, a pastor, or a people who dwell in the kingdom of darkness, except he will send emissaries to bring conviction to them regarding the dire state they are in. And they will be invited to return to the kingdom of light. And they return to the kingdom of light through repentance, through confession of sin. You see, at the very heart of this whole thing, sin is the issue. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, annihilated, wiped out, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now we come to our scripture again, knowing that context. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now it doesn't say this precisely, but it's obviously true. It is implied, if you please, that you have the power, you have the ability to be transferred by the blood of Jesus into death of sin. So, you do have the ability to obey God. It is granted to you by Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. But you do have the ability to totally be dead unto sin. And you likewise then have the ability to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's another aspect of this that I want to highlight for you. When I come to Jesus, and I was praying about this this morning, in the early hours, I am utterly, totally, completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. I'm dependent upon him for my very physical life. I am dependent upon him for money. I'm dependent upon him for the work of the gospel. I'm dependent upon him to move in your heart today. And so I pray about these things. 
and I declare before God and to Jesus that I belong to him, that I am his servant, that I am totally dependent upon him, that I have no source of power outside of Jesus Christ. So please hear me. You cannot establish an independent kingdom under the kingdom of darkness or by yourself any more than you can establish an independent kingdom under Jesus Christ. You may not recognize this, but if you are in the kingdom of darkness, you are utterly dependent upon Satan, the devil, your wicked nature. You are controlled by evil forces. And those evil spiritual forces direct your life. So you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You were, if you were purchased by Jesus and have submitted to him, you are being created into the temple of the living God where he desires to dwell in you. And so... We are to reckon ourselves to be dead. That word reckon is used of Abraham, where righteousness is reckoned to him. It is an accounting term. It is not what modern Christians want to say is imputed grace that covers sin. God never plays shell games. In the kingdom of light, he is saying, literally, this word means to inventory. He's saying, inventory your life that you will be dead indeed to sin. So he's saying, look, look carefully at your life. Do an inventory of your life. Are you trying to live in your own kingdom and keep at bay the devil and the kingdom of darkness and likewise keep at bay Jesus Christ so that you have a little wiggle room where you have a place of independence where you can run your own show? where you can be dependent on your own skills and your own abilities, where you can choose for yourself what you want. No, the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul, very carefully inventory your life. Because if you think you can live in your sin and not have that sin destroyed then you are in a make-believe world. You are in a pretend world. And in that pretend world, you can waste many, many years. I have wasted too many years being a religious man, being a spiritual man, somehow thinking that I could live loving Jesus and yet have my independence from him. Have you ever heard a person say, 
oh, I'm free to go there because if I sin, I'll just repent. If I sin, I'll just repent. Jesus will forgive me. Well, it's not that easy. You're dealing with kingdom authority. You're who rules over you, who does not choose to release you to the kingdom of God. And so there is a battle that must be fought once you enter into and make allegiance to the powers of darkness. You cannot just casually say, oh, okay, I'm going to transfer over now. I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of light again. No, you can't transfer back and forth between these two kingdoms with ease. There is not a bridge between them except one. And that one bridge is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it requires not just the blood of Jesus Christ. It requires your crucifixion. So the crossing is not casual. And so frankly, many of you have chosen not to cross that bridge and have the old man of sin destroyed. Instead, you've chosen to camp as close as you can to the kingdom of God while remaining in the kingdom of darkness. You have skipped the conversion part of the story of being transferred to the kingdom of light, and you have instead sought to improve your life in every way you could possibly imagine. And so you take classes at church you do things to improve your life you go to a 10-step program the alcohol or the sex urges or you try to subdue this or that sin and and you try to keep it under a tight rein and you say to yourself well i'm in the old man I just have to subdue it. As one man said, I shared yesterday, the stench of the skunk is upon me, and, and I'm always going to be a skunk with the stench of a skunk. What that literally means is that you are camped in the kingdom of darkness. You have never been transferred to the kingdom of light. But you're within shouting distance. And so you think that when you die, there's somehow going to be a bridge that will allow you to escape over that bridge into righteousness. And you've been utterly deceived. For there is only one bridge, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we too must be crucified there. Now, as we look at these issues, it's very plain to me that we can imagine that it's practical to live in the kingdom of darkness as close as we can to the kingdom of light and do our best and that somehow God is going to be satisfied by his grace with our attempts to be righteous. But frankly, it means that we have given up the expectation of living without sin. 
And so we don't have in our hearts a present willingness to be saved from sin. The reality is that we must believe that it is possible to live without sin. That must be a settled question in your heart based on the word of God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to make a decision. Do you believe that it is possible to live without sin in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? If you don't believe that, you will never move there and you will always live in the kingdom of darkness. And in the end, there will be no cross for you to move into the kingdom of light. There will be a wide gulf separating and you will be cast into hell. Now, there must be also a clear expectation that I can never live without sin by my own power or my own strength. That I must have the supernatural work of God in my heart. And he must come and empower me. Now, some of you today are caught in desperate sin. You know you're sinning against God. Your heart is grieved about that. And you've been trying as hard as you can. You will never get there by trying as hard as you can. You must recognize that your being moved into the kingdom of God is a supernatural act of God in delivering you from the kingdom of darkness and there will be a real war over that issue. And your part in that is prayer and submission and weeping over your sin and renouncing that sin. You must be personally willing to be saved from that wickedness. We must actually renounce all sin. We must recognize it for what it is. See, I can have nothing to do with with sinning because God hates sin. And I'm to live forever to please him, to honor him. My soul is committed to the purpose of pleasing God and doing his will. But if you're committed to making money, if you're committed to having your sexual needs satisfied in whatever way you have to go about it, if you are committed to being ambitious and successful in whatever endeavor, even gospel ministry, if you are committed to yourself, you are placing self-interest above the interest of God. You are placing self-interest ahead of your family. You see, when we come to the Lord Jesus, self-interest must be put aside, and the interest of God must be number one. 
Now, I was talking with a friend about this this morning. And they said to me, yes, but we have to determine the value of what we're talking about. If a friend has had nothing to eat, and you had breakfast, and now you're going to eat a power bar, but he's had nothing, and he needs something at work, will you place self-interest second and give him that power bar or give her that power bar? What is the value of this? Are we willing to put the interest of others ahead of our own interest? Are we willing to put the interest of God ahead of our own interests? The very definition of sin is described in the book by Anne Ran on Atlas Shrugged, where she says self-interest should be the number one priority of every man's life. Well, obviously, the very definition of sin is the supremacy of self-interest. The principle of the power of darkness is self-interest is first and foremost always in my thoughts. There must be a decision that I will close my heart and my mind to the powers of darkness and I will grant to Jesus full interest and authority over my life. I must seal my mind against temptation. I expect that I will live a life purely devoted to God. Now, let's talk about an example that you will quickly be able to identify with. I'm to be married. And when I marry this beautiful, wonderful bride, would it be acceptable for me to then look around and see if there is someone better, more exciting? Would it be acceptable after our marriage for me to find friendships with other women that I am more interested in than in my friendship with my wife? Would it be acceptable for me to have sexual liaisons with other women? Well, you would say, obviously, of course not. It would not be acceptable. It would be wrong. It would be wrong to your wife, and it would be wrong in your life. It would be wrong for those you care about. Of course it would be. When a person is married, 
their heart is fixed willingly on that other person. When a person is married, they make the choice. There is none other. I am not interested in any other, and I shall not be interested in any other. I was riding in the car with my brother, my brother Don, and at that point, I was a single man, and he was a married man. And as we were driving down the street, I see this beautiful, beautiful woman walking down the street. And my eyes immediately go there. And then a thought enters my head. I wonder what my brother will do. And so I turned and watched him. His eyes never strayed from the highway. He did not look one time at that beautiful woman. And I said to him, Did you see that beautiful woman we just passed? He said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, What beautiful woman? The only beautiful woman I know is at home. She's my wife. There are no other beautiful women. She stands alone. I'm not interested in looking at other women. You can, Ray, because you're single. But when you're married, you can't look at other women anymore. So maybe you ought to break that habit right now. I said, Don, how'd you get so smart? That's really wise. You hear what I'm saying? When we come to Jesus Christ, we're married to him. We do not look for other lovers. My mind is forever settled. It rests comfortably with warm affections and utter commitment that I will not rove with my eyes or my feet or my hands. I am utterly yielded and cannot be seduced by another to turn aside from the one I love. I can have nothing to do with sinning. My mind is settled. The question is forever closed. I can no more admit the temptation to small sins than to great sins. I can no more consent to give my heart to worldly idols than to commit to murder. I did not enter into relationship with Jesus Christ as an experiment. I did not shack up with Jesus. I married him. Now, I have a vow. Until death do us part, I am faithful. To Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a Christian in this understanding, you will not commit small or great sins. You will hate all sin for its own sake and for its hatefulness to Jesus. Any sin, however small, 
you will not tolerate. Now, this state of mind that I'm speaking of recognizes that, number one, I do have the ability to obey God by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. And two, it recognizes that I am responsible for my actions, that I will be held accountable in the great day of judgment for my actions. I am responsible when married to Jesus Christ to choose to obey God in all things. Now, my great strength in walking righteous before God does not lie in any such thing as fasting or giving or praying. It doesn't rest in resolutions that I might make and vows that I might make. It is not resting in self-oriented efforts. But everything is a, how should I put it? Everything is given to me by being totally and completely united with Jesus Christ. Now, part of what I need to say to you is found in another passage of Scripture. And I want to turn there with you, please. It's found in Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Balal? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, that is, come out from the kingdom of darkness, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, my heart is breaking today because even as I'm sharing this, I am so aware that many of you listening to me have played the victim, and you have not been willing to admit that you have the ability to obey God you have begged that you cannot obey God. The truth is you love your sin. And because you love your sin, you refuse to transfer to the kingdom of light and live clean without that sin. You are responsible for your actions. And you are responsible by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to choose to walk clean. Now, some of you would like to say, oh, I'm independent and I have the right to choose the entertainment that I want to watch. And so I happen to like 
the baseball game. I happen to like the professional sports. And it doesn't touch me spiritually. I'm I'm totally given over to God, but I have the right to choose to plunge into the entertainment of this world. And I have the right to walk around with no awe of God, with no fear of God. I have the right to make choices and decisions about where I'm going to work and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to spend my money. May I tell you something? You are camped in the kingdom of darkness. I don't care what you think. This is what the scriptures say. You have not stopped touching the unclean things. You are still reaching out your hand, and you are still taking the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, it's a tree of good and evil. So if you say to me, oh, pastor, there's nothing wrong with television. Do you know what television is in your home? Having a television in your home is like being married, but having a girlfriend on the side. It's where you go to get your private jollies. It's where you go to be entertained. Oh, pastor, I just watched the History Channel. Well, tell me, are the men and women who wrote the scripts for the History Channel godly men and women, or are they of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is your heart desiring to veg out, have your beer, and be entertained? Then let me speak plainly, please. You are in the kingdom of darkness, but you are in the culture of the church. You are in the culture of those who call themselves Christians, but you've not crossed over on the cross of Jesus Christ because you refused the crucifixion. And so if you have a television in your home that you're watching, you have a girlfriend on the side from Jesus Christ. And there are many such things. If you go to the theater, if you go to the dance hall, if you go to the strip club, if you go to the clubs, if you go to the, the people's house and play cards, you're deep into canasta. You've not yet been crucified with Jesus Christ. You're still walking in the kingdom of darkness. The darkness has good and evil in it. When you're with friends, what do you talk about? Do you talk about inconsequential foolishness? Or do you lift up your voice, praying for one another, asking how you can encourage one another in the journey to heaven? Do you talk about the souls that you're saving? I was with a group of Christian men just recently. We had dinner together, and never once in all of that conversation did they eagerly talk together about the salvation of the lost and the dying. I raised the topic several times. No one was interested in picking up on it. Is your heart focused for the lost and the dying? If not, you are camped in the kingdom of darkness, but close enough so you can see across the chasm 
and you can call yourself a Christian, and you can call yourself religious. Do you remember in the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me? And many who followed Jesus said, Okay, we're done following you, Jesus. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Well, why? Because Jesus was saying, I want you to be so intertwined with me that I am your source of nurturance and I am the focus of your heart and of your life. I am the focus of your conversation. And we have a mission. And there desperately needs to be a revival of godliness among the Christian people who are still camped in the camp of darkness but think they're religious. I am so concerned about this, I don't know how to even begin to express it. If I try, I'm going to start to cry. There must be a total change in our behavior if we're going to call ourselves true followers of Jesus Christ. We can no longer play the harlot with Jesus. We can no longer have girlfriends on the side. We can no longer play around with Jesus and then play around with darkness. We can't do it. There must be a change. And I'm frightened to come and speak to you like this because you either accept it and begin to repent and get right with Jesus and plow up the fallow ground, or you become more hardened by the message. I've seen how I can preach for years to people, and finally they walk away because they have been hardened by the gospel message. And they've turned their heart away to their own self-righteous Phariseeism, their own judgments. And it's heartbreaking. He says... Come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. <coughs> Pardon me. And I will be a father unto thee. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in fear of God. Have you done this? Or are you comfortable in your supposed independence from the devil and from Jesus? <clears throat> and you've established your own kingdom and you've created your own little theologies to cover yourself as refuges of lies. Oh, pastor, I just believe that when I die, Jesus is going to save me. If that's your little private theology, it's not to be found anywhere in the scriptures. Instead, it says the wrath of God is going to come upon you. The wrath of God is going to come upon you. 
So I ask you honestly today, do you expect to count yourselves always in sin? Do you believe you can't walk in righteousness? Have you come to that conclusion because of someone who has said something to you that is a lie? Sin is is treason against Jesus Christ. I have heard people say to me, I expect to sin every day of my life. I sin as I breathe. My breath is sin. Every action I take is sin, and I'm saved by the grace of God. And they say it casually, with no concern. They have been utterly deceived. They crucify Christ afresh every day. They put him to open shame and they dishonor his name and they grieve his heart and they bring sorrow and shame upon all who love Jesus. I have to tell you what I think and what I feel. And it's this. Do not let me live one moment longer if I must live in sin. Do not let me live one moment longer if I must live in sin. If I cannot live without sin, I don't want to live. Because there is no gospel if I cannot live without sin. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that I am set free. The old man is destroyed. The sin is destroyed. And now I live in newness of life in Jesus Christ, righteous, made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. I cannot go on sinning day after day against the one whom I love with all of my heart. I can't do that. Can you? Now, I recognize that the church is very divided over this issue. But I pray that after today, you will know that to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to believe that he has the power to break all sin in your heart and to be your very life, that he will work in you a perpetual salvation from sin that he will bring you finally into heaven itself. And I have faith to stand on that proposition. And I confess to you honestly and openly, I am not living in sin. I have been washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. It is no credit to me. All praise and honor and glory belong to Jesus but I have turned away from everything of the works of darkness, and I choose to walk in the glorious reality of being clean and pure before him. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness out of the fear of God. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to invite you to come this Sunday if you're a sinner or if you're half converted, but you're still camped in darkness. I'd also like to invite those who are true believers who have sold out, who want with all their heart revival in America. The National Prayer Chapel is about praying for revival and walking now in its power. I invite you to come. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I also would like to have you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'd like you to look at the Builders page, and I invite you to become a builder with the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you today with righteousness and with conversion. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>